My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. You never want to ask me what my favorite restaurant is. I have a unique spiritual gift. I can close restaurants by declaring them my favorite. There used to be an old farmhouse over uh, by the seminary called Lucan's Tavern. They were converted the farmhouse. It was this wonderful restaurant. I used to take my girl there on Valentine's Day. I declared it my favorite. Gone. Who remembers Chubby's? I love Chubby's. A big steakhouse was my Valentine's Day go-to. I declared it my favorite and gone. There's an Italian restaurant I loved in Voorhees. Probably the most authentic Italian food I ever had. It was called Sfizio. The cook would give me extra food if I would come in and sing for him. He'd say, Doc's here, and I would stand in the middle of the restaurant and sing an aria. He would give me free food. I loved it. I declared it my favorite. Gone. Now, I have good news for you today. This is probably my favorite meal, and it will never be gone. <laughs> there you go. I can declare it my favorite. You're all invited. We sing here for our supper, just like we did at Sfizio. And it is never gone. But when you come to this meal, God asks you to come with an open heart. And that's what we're talking about in the Beatitudes. Uh, there's really three things going on in the Beatitudes. And I want, I want you to make notes, if you can, on the back of your bulletin. These are hugely important. The first two things Jesus says, and it's sort of contrary. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit... And blessed are those who mourn. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm poor in spirit or I'm mourning, I do not feel blessed or content or happy. I feel anxious and depressed and fearful and hopeless. If you've lost a loved one and, and, and you talk to them a lot, there are times when you want to talk to them and they're just not there. They're gone. And why does Jesus put this at the beginning of the Beatitudes? Why would he say, blessed, content, happy are those who are anxious and depressed and fearful and hopeless and mourning? Well, because it comes with a promise. They see heaven and they'll see God. See, it reminds me of a story of a coal mine in England that had a tragedy and many of the miners were lost and the the parish priest had to give a, a, a eulogy at the coal mine. They wanted a blessing. And he said, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why certain people died and others didn't. He said, I don't understand. He said, nobody can understand the hand of God. He said, but it's like this bookmark I have in my Bible that my grandmother embroidered for me. He said, it's made out of silk. And if you look at the back... There's all these threads and they're tangled and their colors are messed up. And you go, what in the world is going on? Did a child do this? He said, but then when I turn it over in beautiful script embroidered by my grandmother, it says, God is love. Jesus says, you may not understand the picture right now. 
It may feel like a tangled mess, like a child is in charge of your life. But God is love. So that we all get to come to the table together knowing that we share in a common experience. We all have moments when we're poor in spirit. We all have moments when we mourn. We can mourn over people. We can mourn over places. We can mourn over pets. I had a lady once call me at my office and she, she said, I can't even go to work today. My dog died. And I think I'm going crazy. And we had a long talk about the relationship you have with a pet. You could mourn over a pet. You could mourn over a possession, a prized possession that you, you just can't seem to find. Jesus says we all share in this together so that when we come to the table, we come as people in need of the kingdom of God. The second thing that Jesus says, and I, I, I like this, is there are four things in the Beatitudes that he wants us to endeavor to obtain. It's like the little girl who said to her mom on the way from church, she said, Mom, I'm confused. And uh, the mom said, okay, dear, well, why are you confused? And she said, well, didn't the minister say that God could hold the whole world in his hands? And she said, yes, he did. She said, we sing songs about that. He's got the whole world. She says, okay, but didn't the minister also say that God wants to be my savior and live in my heart? <laughs> she said, well, yes, he did. She says, well, then, if God is bigger than us, why doesn't he show through? And Jesus says, I want the love of God to show through you. There are four things that he says. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want you to be merciful. I want you to be pure in heart. And I want you to be a peacemaker. These are the things that are going to distinguish us from the other people who are mourning and poor in spirit. How hungry are you for the word of God? Now, you, you may know that I keep the Bible on my phone, audio, audible. I have two versions. I have the Bible through a year and the chronological Bible. And instead of listening to music in my car, I often have on the Bible. Why? Because I want to hear the word of God. And you may say, well, pastor, you're almost 60 years old. How many times have you read the word of God? And the answer is, not enough. I'm hungry for the word of God. I was reading this morning in Numbers where God is reminding the Israelites of the mistakes they made and how he forgave them. And that resonates with me. I don't know about you, but I make at least one mistake a week. You could talk to Vicki. She'll tell you the truth. Right? Uh, and, and we politely call them mistakes. God impolitely calls them sin. And it, I won't know what the sin in my life is unless I know the word of God. I won't know who God is unless I know the word of God. I won't know who Jesus is unless I know the word of God. The first thing Jesus says is I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is contained in the word of God. The second thing he says is, I want you to understand my forgiveness. Merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is the erasing of your debt. 
Everybody that sins owes a debt. Not just to God, because it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But we owe a debt to one another. Somebody says a harsh word to you, even though they apologize, there's still a dent, isn't there? There's an emotional dent when somebody wrongs you sinfully. And as much as we like to know that God forgives us, God says, if you want to be forgiven, you must be a forgiving person. It's a two-way street. In Aramaic, the word for mercy actually means to get under the skin. Now, that's not like a rash or, or a bug or, or a poison ivy. What that means is to be merciful, you have to understand where the other person is coming from. What is going on in their life? Sometimes we sin because there's some hurt in our life and we don't know what else to do other than to lash out at the people around us. And what Jesus is saying is take time to know not only why you're forgiving, but who you're forgiving. Because Jesus knows each and every one of us personally. He knows the number of hairs on our head. For some of us, that's a lot. For some of us, it's not so much. Me, I'm halfway in between. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The third thing is, he wants us to understand the mystery of the gospel, to be pure in heart. We need to remember the, that the Bible, I can talk, that Bill Hybels, let me do this, Bill Hybels from Willow Creek says that the difference between religion and Christianity is that religion is what you do, and Christians believe that it's done. God has already done the work. I am pure at heart, not because I work harder at it than anybody else, but because the blood of Christ has made me pure at heart. Amen. Now, we can talk to Vicki again about that one mistake a week. But you know what? As long as I take the time to talk to my Heavenly Father, to read in His Word, and to practice being a merciful person, then my heart will become purer. It's a journey. There's people who are further on the journey than me. There are people that are not as far as me yet, but we're on this journey, and the journey is leading us to a place where we will be pure in heart. The last one is probably the most difficult. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. There is too much conflict. There's conflict in the family. There's conflict at the workplace, conflict at school, conflict at our nation. There's conflict on Facebook. I miss when people posted pictures of their dinner. Could we go back to that, please? I'd like to know what you're having for dinner. I don't, I don't want to see pictures of political stuff and, and angry this and angry that. There's conflict everywhere. And Jesus says, I'm not calling you to be in the middle of the conflict. I'm calling you to make peace. Well, what does this look like? There's a, a short story written by Max Beerbohm called The Happy Hypocrite. And he tells the story of his character, and his lead character in the story, I wrote it down, is Lord Henry, Lord George Hell is the guy's name. Lord George Hell, and George Hell is a despicable, dissolute character. And he falls in love with a beautiful young woman. And he knows that he can never win her 
with his demeanor being what it is. So he gets a mask of a saint. Doesn't say what saint, but the mask of a saint. And he puts on the mask of a saint, and he woos her, and he weds her, and they fall in love and they get married. And they're living happily ever after with him as this saint, wearing the mask of a saint, and a woman from his past who knows how despicable and dissolute he can be comes, and in anger, you know what she does, she rips off the mask. And everybody's surprised, because underneath the face of the mask is the face of the saint. He was practicing all those things that a saint would do to woo and wed the girl that he actually became the person that he was pretending to be. That's why Paul says we need to put on Christ. It's like a garment. We need to wrap that around us. And the last thing in the Beatitudes we're going to look at is it comes with a promise and a promise. So, we have a shared condition. That's the first thing. We all mourn. We're all poor in spirit. Jesus says, there's four things I really want you to do. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want you to be forgiving. I want you to work on being pure in heart. And I want you to be peacemakers. Even when all the people around you don't want peace. And he finishes with a promise that if you do these things, you will not have peace. People will persecute you and revile you in my name. Now, I don't know about you, I'm as confused as that little girl who said, if God is so big, why doesn't he shine through? Jesus, you just preached an entire sermon on contentment. And now you're telling me that if I do the things you want me to do, my life is going to be perhaps filled with ridicule and persecution. Well, Jesus sees further than we do. There's a kingdom here and there's a kingdom not yet realized. There's the kingdom here and the kingdom that he calls us to live in. We talked about this last week, the kingdom of God. What it would look like if we really let God be in charge. The kingdom of God looks like Jesus. So the promise is that if you do the things that Jesus asks here, you will be blessed there. We're back to the silk bookmark. No matter how long you live on this world, how, no matter how many moments of contentment you have along the way, true contentment is not going to come until we're in heaven with Jesus. The victory has been won, but we're still in the battle. I want you to hear that. The victory has been won. Jesus won. Jesus paid it all. And yet, we on this earth are still in the battle. Why? Because not everyone has given their heart to Jesus. Which leads us to my final point. Where are you today in your walk with Jesus? I, I just read a book by Greg Hawkins called Move. Uh, they interviewed 1,000 churches and 250,000 church members to find out where they were spiritually. And they, they came up with four definitions, four steps on the journey. And the first one is exploring. People who are in the church, because all the people interviewed were in the church. 
who have not yet made a decision for Christ. So they're sort of standing in the shallow end of the pool, and the water's nice, and the people are nice, but I haven't really made that dive in to say, I, I want to be in a relationship with Christ. And if you're there today, our deacons or, or Pastor Wiki would love to pray with you after church and, and help you make that decision. Then he said there's people on the next step who are growing in Christ. They have made a decision. They have a personal relationship, but they're not really hungering and thirsting yet. They've not mastered the art of being merciful. The pure in heart is still a mystery to them, but they're, they're growing. And if you're on that step, we would love to pray with you and, and help you find ways to integrate the Christian walk into your life. Then the next step, he says, are people who are close to Christ. These are people who are reading their Bible every day, praying, doing community service, volunteering at the church, giving a tithe. And yet Christ is not the last step, the center of their life. They said that most of the people in the church fall into those first four steps. The majority of us fall into the growing category. We've made a decision, but we're just sort of inching along towards grace. So if you feel a, a spiritual unrest, if you're not sure what step you're on, our deacons and our elder would love to pray with you after church. If you want to, you may bring a need, you may bring a request, and we would love to open the gates of heaven and share the good news with you. Amen. Amen.